Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Three, two, one. I don't want to make empty promises to, to the residents of Illinois without identifying what the issues are. Smart move, Richard Irvin. <laughs> Play it safe, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> so safe. He's trying to skate by this election. Not going to take a stand on anything. He's going to put my name out there, my picture, funded by Kenny G. Very smart move, Richard Irvin. I think we're done. The campaign, of uh, course, is not done. All right. Flannery's not going to let you off the hook no. just like that, Richard Irvin. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, May 17th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. And did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention. It's June 10th through the 11th. It's brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult-use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four, count them four, full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice, featuring dozens of expert speakers and practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N.com slash Illinois for information and to register. It is Tuesday, May 17th, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Now your host, will you find him at the Knee Can Festival? Maybe. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Don't Get Old Tuesday, and here's why. Don't get old, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Just take it from me, all right? I woke up this morning. Well, it's been like two days in a row with a bad case of bursitis. Just want to tell you that I'm playing in pain and that the aches and pains of life really accumulate the older you get. So my advice to all my listeners, including uh, my distinguished guest who's waiting on deck to come on, don't get old. Figure out a way to stay young forever, uh, and you'll live a longer, enjoyable life. Uh, what's really on my mind, politically speaking, other than my aches and pains and my toes, uh, is the curfew in Millennium Park that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, called and the ward map that was approved yesterday in the Chicago City Council. Uh, we'll be talking about these things all week. Probably have a little conversation about both things uh, with with my distinguished guest, Maya Dukmasova, who is uh, sitting on deck ready to come on. But I just got to tell you, uh, that curfew, I'm like, we 
I can't even really get the words out at this moment. I just like, we're so frustrated by our inability to deal with the really horrific problems we face of violence in our city and that we have faced ladies and gentlemen for years. Every now and then we just have this spasm. We're, we're a mayor. Like this is what we're going to do. Cause we have to do something, whether it addresses the situation or not, whether it's going to cause more problems or not. So now there's suddenly like, if you're a minor, you're not allowed to be in millennium park uh, after 6 PM. Unless you're accompanied by a responsible adult. What does that even mean? Responsible adult. Half the, I think most of the crime in Chicago is coming from quote unquote, responsible adults. I, I'm not feeling this at all. It just seems like kind of reminds me of the time that Lori Lightfoot shut down the lakefront because of um, COVID. Remember that one, ladies and gentlemen, that shut down the lakefront even though it later came clear that COVID doesn't really spread that fast when you're outdoors. Yeah. It's just a strange place we're at right now in the world, uh, incapable of dealing with our problems. So we just come up with solutions that don't deal with them. Uh, anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring on Amaya Dukmasama, uh, my dear friend, partner in crime, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, the recipient of this year's, well, one of the recipients of this year's Studs Terkel uh, Award. So congratulations, Maya. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. And uh, if Maya's here, generally, we're going to promote First Tuesdays, the show we do together on the first Tuesday of the month uh, at the hideout, our beloved hideout, which, like my beloved reader, is somehow or other still in existence uh, after COVID and all kinds of things. So, Maya, why don't you give the folks the uh, scoop on what we got for our June show? We're really ahead of ourselves. I'm very proud of Maya and myself. We are, are ahead of ourselves. I'm going to put a Facebook message out today. I'm going to talk about it on the show. What do we got coming in June? Take it away, Maya. Uh, well, June 7th, first Tuesdays in June, uh, we're going to have a very special uh, ballot show for you all. So we're going to go through with uh, our guests, Tina Svondilis from the Sun-Times and Rachel Hinton from the BGA, both seasoned uh, political reporters, especially on count and county and state politics issues. We're going to go through the primary ballots the Democratic and even Republican primary balance and just go through what is happening in those races, what's important, what you should be paying attention to. And hopefully you'll leave uh, you'll leave first Tuesdays with a better sense of, you know, with a better sense of what you want to vote on and how you want to vote. We're not going to tell you what decisions to make, but we're hopefully going to, you know, help you get prepared um, and understand the stakes of what you're voting on in the primary, um, you know, for Chicago, as far as Chicago Cook County goes, the primary election is sort of the election anyway, because most people, you know, take a democratic ballot. So it's really, really important to vote on June 28th. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to, to have the show with two experts, two expert political reporters. Um, just to note, the show will be starting at, uh, at six. So we're going to go to six to seven thirty now so that the hideout has a little more time to turn around their stage for their evening shows so 
yeah, excited to uh, come on through. They haven't posted the ticket link yet, but they will this week. And then uh, we can start. Look, look for us on our Instagram page, first underscore Tuesdays. Look at our Facebook page, first Tuesdays with my and Ben. Look on Ben's Facebook page, and there'll be links to um, to this ticket site. And we really can't wait to see you guys on the seventh. No, I'm up my game on Instagram. I always say this every month, Maya, but you've inspired me. Maya uh, runs uh, Instagram first Tuesday and uh, a big follower follower of it because she's like, people may think, oh, better. Wait, that's not you posting it? No, it's Maya. And it's like, Maya, you take it another step. You got little clips. You got like, I got to be more like Maya. So I'm going to up my game. Maya's laughing like, oh, yeah. The first step to being more like Maya is when you advertise on your social media channels, you got to post a link to the tickets. (laughs) Oh, my God. Folks, Maya chiding, dealing with a boomer. Maya's got to deal with me all the time. She's very patient with me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, But... uh, so, yeah, six o'clock. That's very important. I have to work that into my brain that we're starting a half hour earlier. Uh, and, um, yeah, we really are doing it for uh, the hideout because, folks, if you've been to the shows, and I'm, I know a lot of my listeners go to the shows, uh, you know, they're always looking at their watch, always getting a little nervous. There's like a band lined up ready to go. You know, you got like the Almond Brothers in the next room. Just kidding. Not the Oliver brothers. Uh, and uh, so I think this just makes sense. A little more leeway, a little less pressure on the hideout. So it's cool. I don't know what I don't know. And I know some people are going to ask me is, will this be indoors or outdoors? We did some outdoor shows, which I thought were fantastic. My the Tim, Timothy Evans, Judge Evans show, which was one of my favorites, was outdoors. Uh, Deli Ramirez and Rob Martwick was outdoors. So I don't know. Do you know if we're going to be indoors or outdoors? Has Tim said that? Or? No, not, not clear yet if they're if they're going to go ahead and set up the their patio uh, for outdoor shows in June already. But we'll keep you all posted about that. Yeah, as soon as we find out. Uh, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I can't say this enough. Tina and Rachel are really smart. They know their stuff. Uh, they're a little, they're like me. They're a little geeky when it comes to politics. So, um, Maya, you're going to be like, like the, you know, like the straight woman in this one. You know what I'm saying? Like feeding the geeks. Uh, but and by the way there was a role that maya played last show let's just talk about that briefly before we get into uh some other issues i know you want to talk about uh, your work in justice watch and also i'm going to uh raise the curfews get your thoughts on the curfew uh at millennial park but it was fascinating so last show which uh i thought was excellent uh two aldermen having a debate on the ward map rod sawyer from the sixth ward who is uh, supporting the Black Caucus map, and Carlos Ramirez Rosa from the 35th Ward, uh, who is supporting the Latino map. And uh, they went at it, and uh, they presented, you know, they made their cases. Uh, and uh, there was that one great moment, Maya, where you were, like, really pressing Carlos. And uh, you were like, answer the question. No, it was a great moment. Anyway, <laughs> what did you see? You said something like, that's why people don't trust politicians or something like that. I um, and, uh, and then there was spirited questions from the audience and we left, uh, and, uh, we stayed back. I, there was a few drinks at the bar. Um, and lo and behold, the next day, I think it was, maybe it was two days later, they cut a deal. It looked like we're going to referendum. My, I swear, if you walked out of that show last Tuesday or whatever that was, I'm losing track. You would 
absolutely think we'd be heading for a referendum. They were like advocating for their positions on the referendum. We were gearing up for a referendum and um, a deal's cut yesterday. The map was officially approved. There are some awards that are absolutely atrocious. The 36 word is a joke. Um, so what's your takeaway from this, Maya? I mean, uh, democracy in action, I suppose, is the easiest headline for it. But what's your kind of takeaway from the fact that we look like a referendum for certain, and then within two days, deal cut? You know, I... <laughs> I don't know what, like, how true your theory is that, you know, our show contributed to, you know, Rod and Carlos figuring some things out and cutting a deal and kind of being able to come away and for Carlos, you know, you know, for for whatever, for anybody in the Latino caucus to be uh, convinced to cross over. But to me, it's like, I don't see it as a deal. Like I see it as a condition. Like this was not like some kind of compromise from what I came away with from that show is like, there are real serious, real differences between these, these two proposals. And what we're getting now is the black caucus's vision of things. And I, you know, I'm not covering city politics right now, so I really don't know, like, what, you know, why those aldermen crossed over, if they saw some future political benefit and just, you know, folding and, 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 you know, playing, playing for the bigger team or whatever. But I, I felt like coming away from our show, like, you know, even just as like an individual voter, I was like, all right, I can see the difference between what's being proposed here. I had a pretty clear idea of what I would vote on when I would go vote. I feel like the people who were there probably got like a pretty, a pretty, a pretty good sense of like what, what the real difference is. And, you know, I feel like the people, you know, the voters, the people of Chicago lost out here because, um, you know, who, who who knows how possible it would have been to really have like a big chunk of voters making an educated, informed choice. You know, we weren't even sure if they were going to present the map, the competing maps in the, you know, in the in the in the various precincts so that when people go to vote, they could actually see what the difference is. But I don't know. In the end, you know, it's like. Joe Chicago is not getting a, a chance to have a say, you know, this is like, I feel like this is just some other iteration of the parking meter deal, man. Like at the end of the day, it's not going to be up to us. Yeah. It, uh, I would, I would actually compare it to judicial races. Uh, Joe and Jane Chicago, you know, in many instances, this is something you've dedicated this current phase of your career to educating people about uh, the judges and, uh, you know, there are voters rights uh, in, in an election uh, and what the issues are. Uh, it, but it's overwhelming. Uh, it's easy for people not to pay attention because it's complicated and convoluted. Uh, and ultimately, they'll be presented with a choice at the ballot that they very, very few people comprehend and understand what they're choosing. And I feel the war map, that's some parallels uh, because it was 
Very confused. One of the things we did at that show, if I may pat ourselves on the back, and it was really Maya that did it, but like we had these overheads of the maps and then like just the names, the different names of the, like the, the nasty nickname that one side gave to the other side, what one side calls itself. Uh, and the, so, and then the basic, like it was, it, is it the rules map committee map? Is it the black caucus map? Is it, you know, uh, it, it was just all so confusing. I personally, I guess, would rather have a referendum just because I believe in small D democracy. Uh, but I'm not certain, Maya, that the voters would have been able to make sense of it. Uh, like it would be like a judge, judicial race. Your thoughts on my on that? You know, I look, it's easy to say now that they don't now that voters don't have a choice, like, you you know, it's easy to write it off and say, like, well, they wouldn't have made an informed choice anyway, blah, blah, blah. But look, like, I still think that in this particular case, given that there was a very real choice to make, even though that like the Latino caucus map was even a step in a different direction from like the, you know, people people's lobby map or whatever it was that the the original like kind of grassroots community organizer map that the Latino caucus kind of merged with. Like, I I don't know. I still think that like, it would have been better to give people a chance to decide like, like people in Inglewood, the voters in Inglewood deserved an opportunity to decide if they were going to be split between four wards or if they were going to have, you know, two wards, one for Inglewood, one, one for West Inglewood and one, you know, and have a chance to have like one representative for their, for an entire community there. Like the people, the people in the 36th ward deserve to have an opportunity to decide like, is their ward going to look like this, you know, crazy snake that we're going to have now or, or like a different vision of it. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't think that, you know, neither of the aldermen had a very good or clear answer when they were asked, what are you doing to educate people in your ward about the choices they need to make here and about the map you're proposing? I feel like neither of them really had any any kind of good answer for that. Um, and I don't know if like this deal hadn't been struck between now and when early voting starts, which actually just got pushed back to now it's going to be May 26, not May 19th you know, basically within a month, would they have like really gotten out like a good public education effort, mailers, explainers, all this stuff. But I don't know, still, I feel like, you know, we did this show that was out there. People could listen to, you know, the recording of it. WTTW and all these other places have been covering this pretty, pretty, um, pretty intensely. There were websites online where you could go and compare the two maps. So I really don't see like any, benefit that that comes from having reached this deal when it comes to, in terms of like voters you know like we, we i feel like the city would have been better off if people had voted for you know whatever the map the black caucus map that we're now ultimately going to get i actually agree i agree with you I, again i wish it had come to a referendum i never bought the excuses why uh, a referendum was so unreasonably costly and so diverting of, of our tensions uh, I never bought that excuse. I just think they were looking for a fast uh, way to settle this. And oh my goodness, 
just all the competing interests behind the scenes that pushed it. I'm kind of joking that they uh, made the d- d- deal at the hideout over drinks, uh, but anything's possible in the city of Chicago. I will say this, speaking of the hideout, um, they got what they wanted. <laughs> if you listen to our show and I urge everybody to do it because it's, it's still um, very much obviously online. Uh, the first question is uh, Tim Tutton and Katie Tutton pressing Carlos about why the hideout was moved uh, was not moved, was kept in the second war with Brian Hopkins. That was uh, the, the Latino map. One of the compromises that they made was to move the hideout into Scott Wagesback's 32nd Ward, which is what the Tuttons were wanting. So um, That's now happening. The, the hideout will now be in the 32nd Ward. Yes, correct. Okay. So the, the well, tut- okay. You know, I guess that I guess I guess that's a win for the hideout. That's <laughs> I that's our community. You know, that's that's a couple of owners. That's ge- ge- generally we're you know we're not we're four things that are going to be beneficial for the hideout. But again, like I'm my heart pains for, for example, people in Inglewood or people in Allgale Gardens, people in in you know who are not going to get to decide if they're going to have to go you know, take three buses to get oh, to their yeah. alderman's office. And that was pressed at the the hideout. The Alcal yeah. Garden uh, is, I mean, if like you go to, I was a column of like the biggest uh, atrocities in this map. I don't know. It's probably too strong a word given the violence in the world today, but um, the Alcal Gardens is, would be near the top, if not at the top, although the 30, 36 ward is a disgrace the way it's shaped. Uh, but uh, Alk Elk Gardens for years has been in the ninth ward. It was moved to the 10th ward. Uh, and as a result, uh, people who live in the Alk Elk Gardens who want to visit their older uh, woman, in this case, Sue uh, Sadlowski Garza, what is it, three buses? It's just, if you don't have a car, it's just outrageous. Uh, that something that relatively easy to handle could not have been handled. Um, but. Um, Anyway, all right, let's move on. Uh, your latest story uh, or your latest podcast, talk about it, about uh, the, uh, the judicial. Yeah, so I have been working for a couple of months um, on a collaboration with Curious City, WBZ's Curious City program. And we just released um, a new episode of Curious City uh, last week. Uh, which focuses on answering, you know, the program is structured usually that they answer a question from a listener. And so we got a question about, you know, if judges are ever removed from office. And so we use that question um, as a kind of prompt to explore why it's so hard to get an elected judge off the bench once they're, once they're there. And we told the story of the 2018 um, retention election back when uh, Judge Matthew Coughlin became the first judge in almost 30 years to not be retained, to lose his seat as a judge in Cook County. And um, at that same year, there was another judge, um, Morris Slattery Boyle, um, who comes from a very politically connected family in Bridgeport, who also faced some criticism and heat and uh, was embroiled in some controversy and she managed to hang on to her seat. So we tell the story of these two judges, of how they came to be elected in the first place. They both got on the bench in 2000 and uh, how they kind of breezed through these retention elections until every six years until 2018, when um, you know one of them had this kind of come to Jesus experience and, and the other um, didn't really, despite both of them having some, some pretty... Um, questionable stuff in their background. 
So, um, so yeah, so we tell their stories. We tell the stories of people who were impacted by their decisions and, uh, Hopefully, you know, listeners can come away with a sense of like why it's so important to pay attention to judicial elections and most of all, why it's so important to vote for judges in the primary, because that's really the time where like you are making decisions that really can't be undone that easily. The effort that it took to get Matthew Coughlin off the bench has not been repeated and is would be very hard to replicate. So that 2018 election showed that it's not impossible but the things that had to, the stars that had to align for that to happen, like they haven't aligned since. Like there was an attempt to get um, uh, Judge Michael Tuman off the bench in 2020 that failed. Um, another judge named Jackie Portman Brown, she lost her seat uh, after like a kind of a big controversy. And actually, she's running in the primary now. She's going to be on the ballot in the Fifth Subcircuit. Um, you know, in on, in the June primary, she's trying to get back on the bench. So I'm actually working on a story about about that now. But like this, the, a lot of people vote for judges, you know, when it, either they skip that part of the ballot altogether when they when they vote in the primary uh, or, you know, or they just pick a random name. They pick, you know, if they like voting for women, they pick a woman, they pick the first name, they pick an Irish name, they pick someone who seems to be coming from their own ethnic background and like none of that stuff is a good predictor of how good a judge someone will be. And this is why, I mean, this is the whole part of the whole reason for Injustice Watch's existence is to help people be more informed voters. And so we're hard at work at finishing up our um, judicial election guide for the primary. So you will be able to access detailed information about each one of these candidates. Uh, we'll be releasing it um, in the weeks to come. And um, yeah, hopefully everybody will be taking that part of the ballot seriously and making informed choices rather than just, you know, randomly ticking off the first name they see. You, you just alluded to briefly, uh, Judge, I think it was Brown uh, that was voted off in 2020, I think you said. Just remind, yeah, Jackie Portman Brown. Yes. Just remind folks briefly what the issue was. Uh, so it's funny because I have like a, I wrote a profile of her back in 2016 for the reader, even before I was working there. Um, I had, I came into court, I was like writing about bond court at the time. And I spent a bunch of time in bond court and she had a court call right after bond court. So oftentimes at the end of the bond court, I would still be kind of hanging out in the courtroom and, uh, or maybe she had one right before bond call started. But anyway, I'd be in the courtroom and seeing her court call, which she had for this, um, like a diversion program, like a deferred prosecution program. And she was just like, so like intense and behaved so unusually on the bench. She, you know, just had these kind of like crazy antics that she pulled and rang this cowbell when people like paid off their restitution. So she was just kind of this wacky character. And then I was there and she, she was, you know, doing her whole stick and Mick Dunkey was also sitting there in the, in the jury box next to me. And I already knew Mick a little bit back then. And I was like, man, this, this is like, this seems like a story about this lady. And Mick was like, oh yeah, maybe. And at that moment I thought to myself, oh shit, Mick is going to write a story about this lady. I better hurry up and pitch this. So I needless to say, I'm sure that Mick had like zero interest in writing a story about this woman, but 
But I, I was like prompted by the fact that Mick was there. I was like, let me just see if I can, <laughs> let me just see if I can like pitch the story to the reader and see if they're interested and seems like their kind of thing. So that ended up being the first story that Robin edited me on. And, you know, she was the one that ended up great editor hiring me and, and, and the rest is history. But a couple of years after I wrote that story in justice watch published a big article about the sort of really not great results that were coming out of this court program that this judge was running Chicago Appleseed Fund for Justice did like an independent audit of it. They found all these problems. Then Injustice Watch did this story about all these problems. So at the time, I remember feeling like, man, like I kind of, you know, what I wrote was kind of like, I don't know, nearing the definition of a puff piece, I guess. Like I think it was pretty thorough, but like it, you know, it didn't get into any of these issues that that were later on earth. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I... Uh, and that was in 2018 that Injustice Watch did that story, I think. And then, so, but I don't think that that's what cost her her election. What happened then right in 2020, like during, like er, earlier, like before the election that year, she got into a bunch of hot water for locking her grandniece in a courtroom lockup, yeah. uh, like after court call. And this, there was a video of it, and the little girl was, like, sitting in this lockup for a few minutes by herself, and the video got leaked, I think, you know, to the Tribune and a bunch of the other news uh, stations, and it created this, like, big controversy, and um, after that, she didn't, she, she, like, lost her seat in a retention election, becoming only the second judge in 30 years to ever, to, to lose her seat as a judge. Um Interestingly enough, when I spoke to her recently, she told me like a whole story about what happened with that incident with her grandniece. That's quite a bit more nuanced than what was presented in the media. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, But more importantly than that, whatever her reasoning and rationale may be, whether or not you believe that that excuses her behavior, what she saw in that 2020 retention election was that had it been up to the voters in her subcircuit, had it been up to the fifth subcircuit, which is like Bronzeville, Kenwood, Hyde Park, um, parts of, uh, I think parts of Chatham, South Shore, had it been up to the voters there, she would have stayed on the bench. Most of the people in the precincts that make up that subcircuit voted to keep her on the bench. So she lost largely because of the suburban Cook County no vote. So she's making a bet, a bet that's like, you know, rational to me, which is that like, she's, she's going to try again because she thinks the people in her, in her subsurface are behind her. So I'll be very interested to see, she's in a four way race. um, And I'll be interested, interested to see if she, if she manages to pull it off, but yeah, it's definitely quite a story. It is a good story, and maybe if she's victorious, a potentially good guess at the first Tuesday. Just thinking about maybe she get some judges up there. Uh, use your expertise. Would, yeah, I feel like she'd be one to do it too. She's not yeah. one of these people who would be like, "I'm not commenting on anything." Yeah, I, I don't get that. You, their judges run. This is story. Uh, my next guest is already online, and you got to go. I know, and so I, I haven't even gotten to ask you your opinions of the curfew. I'm going to ask my next guest about that. So yeah, you should do that. Uh, <laughs> Maya's like, I don't want to talk about it. But uh, we'll talk about uh, bringing on some judges uh, later. Uh, Maya Dukmasova, thank you very much. And one more time, June 7th at the hideout, uh, Tina Svandel, Rachel Hinton, 
6 p.m. It's going to be a great, great show. We'll be talking about all the political races, maybe even the one, probably the one involving my next guest. I have a feeling, to quote the Beatles. Thank you very much, Maya. Bye. All right, that's the great Maya Dukmasova. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on my next guest. Uh, he's running uh, for state rep on the southwest side, Abdel Nasser Rashid. Welcome to the show, young man. It's good to be back, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I say young man because I'm looking at this guy. He's so young. God bless you. I'm not that young. Maybe, you know, 10 years ago as a young man, but turning 33 this year. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I just say that because... Uh, I'm old. No, just kidding. Uh, the title of my show today, uh, Abdel Nasser, was uh, Don't Get Old. Uh, I was just being a little facetious. I, make, I give that recommendation to young people uh, all the time. All right. Um, a lot of things I want to ask you about. Uh, I have many obsessions. Uh, one is the, the state house uh, and the state of Democrats uh, in the state house and what Democrats can do in the state house to um, enact more what I call call progressive legislation, uh, uh, particularly how we uh, raise money to fund government, one of my uh, obsessions. And uh, But why don't we just, before we get there, take a moment. You have been on my show before, but it was a long time ago in a different setting. Uh, And um, so why don't you just reintroduce yourself to folks, tell them a little bit about your background, uh, where you grew up, what office you're running for, and then we'll take it from there. So go ahead. Fantastic. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning in or if you're watching it later. Um, my name is Abdul Nasser Rashid. I'm running for state representative in the new 21st district. It's a district that goes from uh, some of the southwest side of Chicago to Cicero, much of Berwyn, Riverside North, Riverside, LaGrange Park, LaGrange Countryside, Hodgkins, um, then curves around and goes and gets uh, much of Summit and Bridgeview. Um, uh, I, um, for the last 10 years, I've spent my um, career working for um, working families, um, and I started my career in the immigrant rights movement after I graduated from Harvard, came back home, worked at the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights for about three years. I was um, Congressman Chuy Garcia's field director when he ran, ran against Rahm Emanuel for mayor. Uh, it was the deputy state director for Bernie Sanders' Illinois campaign in 2016, and I spent about three years working for uh, for former Cook County Clerk David Orr, uh, where I was his policy director and his deputy chief of staff. Uh, we worked on important um, reforms to our um, the, uh, ballot access, um, voting rights, um, and uh, also an uh, important initiative to merge the Cook County Clerk's Office with the Cook County Recorder of Deeds offices to make government more efficient, more um, transparent, um, and really save taxpayers millions of dollars every year. Um, let me tell you, Briefly, why this race is so important, and I'm happy to take your questions or questions from anyone who's, to, who's um, calling in. Um, you know, voters have a really uh, stark choice in this election. They have a choice between someone like Representative Zaleski, who's a protege of the Madigan machine and of Mike Madigan, um, or someone who's fought the Madigan machine. Um, they have a choice between someone like Representative Zaleski, who started off as a lobbyist for utility companies and then paved the way for utility rate increases, or someone who's not going to let people's gas, NICOR, and ComEd continue to raise rates on our families year after year after year while they make record profits. Um, they have a choice between someone like Representative Zaleski who um, voted to take away the right of a young woman to, uh, who was raped um, to get an abortion without notifying her parent or someone who's going to always protect a woman's right to choose. Uh, these are stark differences. These are serious issues. Um, and I am uh, hopeful that over the next six weeks, we're going to get our message to voters and um, come June 28th, I uh, hope to be on my way to, to Springfield 
uh, June 28th and November, of course, but this is really a primary election. It's a, it's a democratic district. So this is where much of the action's at. Now, Abdel Nasser, the last time you were on my show, I believe you were running for Cook County, uh, Commissioner of Cook County Board. That's right. Uh, and uh, you were not successful in that election, obviously. Um, why state rep? Why not double down on the board? Yeah, um, the we got really close running for Cook County Board, uh, for Cook County Commissioner. Um, it was a great race. You know, I love running for state representative because it's it, the district is much smaller. You get to actually engage with people. You get to talk to people around the doors every day. You don't have to be holed up in an office, fundraising all day so that you can do TV and mail and digital. You can actually talk to people, engage with people. So I, I love the intimacy of a state rep campaign. It's, um, it's much more grassroots. It's much more... Um, involved in terms of, you know, really hearing what are people going through. Don't get me wrong. We did the same thing on the last race as well, but the district was so much larger that there was just not as much um, of an opportunity to really talk to people one-on-one. And there was a lot more, you know, fundraising, which highlights the need for campaign finance reform, something I'm very passionate about. Um, We need to be able to have average people run for office without having to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in order to stand a chance. That is the system that we have right now, unfortunately. Um, and the, one of the reasons we did well last time is because I did fundraise and we did, we did get our message out and we got very close to winning. Um, but this, this is, this is a lot more let's see, closer to the ground to what people are dealing with. And, and it's been just such a great experience. You talk about fundraising and let's just follow that for a while. Uh, so how much money does it take go to, to run uh, as a quote unquote independent? You're not supported by uh, the Cook County Democratic Party. Uh, how much money does it cost uh, to finance a state rep campaign from your neck of the woods? Um, you know, they, it can vary. Um, it, it takes at least a few hundred thousand dollars, at least. Um, it can get It can get north of that. Um, my opponent started off the campaign with over 300,000 in the bank and has raised, um, a lot more since then. So I think he's sitting on North of 400,000 right now in the bank. Um, uh, and he'll probably get a lot more. Um, so, uh, it does, it does take real resources. And for anyone who's, who's listening, who would like to like to chip in, even if it's five or $10, please feel free to do that at Rashid for Every little bit counts. Um, but to your point, Ben, um, it, 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 these are not cheap races. I mean, I remember a race a couple of years ago, if you remember, I think it was the, the Ken Duncan race. I think it reached like $5 million spent on that race. Um, other state rep races have gotten extremely expensive as well. Um, so, uh, here's the thing. We don't need to match them dollar for dollar and we won't. And that's okay because we're not hiding from the issues. We're not hiding who we are. We are um, going to every single door. We're talking to voters. We're bringing our message to the district. And, and, and that's worth more than anything that money can buy in this election. Um, and so, you know, money is important, but it's, um, it's much more important that we actually be engaging with constituents, talking to people on the doors, uh, meeting them where they're at, uh, and, getting, and getting their support. All right, let's take a deep dive in some of the issues. I've written uh, several of them down. We'll start with criminal justice. Uh, and this is perhaps one of the toughest votes that you would, or any state rep would have to make, particularly in this climate uh, with their with crime up, people very afraid, uh, articles in the paper uh, every day about shootings and murders. It's a very frightening specter. And about a year or so ago, uh, Abdel Nasser, and I can't remember exactly when, it was like a different political climate of sorts, uh, and the Democrats were able to put forth a criminal justice 
bill legislation that really moved the state in a different direction from the old lock them up <laughs> attitudes that prevailed for so long, uh, pretty much as long as I've lived in Chicago. And I've lived there since the 80s. And now there's a backlash. Uh, I see it across the board in federal races, uh, state races, and local races uh, like your own. Uh, Rob Markwick uh, is being lambasted, the state senator from the northwest side on the complete other end of the city from you, uh, because by the uh, Fraternal Order Police because he voted for that criminal justice bill. Uh, so what's your take on the criminal justice bill? Would you have voted for it? I know you were not in the state uh, house then. Uh, and your reaction to uh, how to deal with crime in Chicago, take it away. Yeah. So I, I support the changes that are being made that are being proposed, um, uh, and passed, uh, to reform that, um, uh, criminal justice bill. So, you know, for me, it's really important that we invest in community-centered public safety support. I support the Crime Reduction Task Force um, that, the, that, that was uh, passed through the legislature so that law enforcement, legal and criminal justice professionals, crime victims, and witnesses um, work together to address the root causes of violence. Um, I, I don't think that we should be um, locking people up left and right for, 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 for minor offenses. Um, I don't think someone should sit behind bars because they can't pay to get out of jail because of, because of a traffic violation. I also don't think we should go the other the other extreme and and um, you know let someone who's a repeat offender who's a, a you know ha, you know engaged in a shooting or a carjacking that they shouldn't be out on the street right after without knowing that they're that 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 that, that it's safe to do so um, or that they've been brought to justice. So um, I think that the the changes to the bill um, to that passed last year. Are, um, are a positive step. And uh, so are you getting slammed for that position uh, in this election? No, people, people, people agree with me. Um, people understand that, um, you know, that, that um, law enforcement is not all about, it shouldn't be all about just, you know, um, locking people up in mass. And, but it's also not about, um, you know, letting um, people free who should, who are a threat to the community. Um, and so it is, there really does need to be a middle path there. I think people understand that even people who are, who are um, rightfully worried about crime and violence, um, none of no, they're not saying lock everyone up, you know, that someone who's, you know, um, I mean, we saw what happened with, 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 with marijuana, with people on drug possession charges, you know, um, being mass incarcerated, that's not what people want, right? But people want someone who's actually a threat to the community to be brought to justice. And, 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 and just as importantly, that we address the root causes of violence. Why do we, why do we have these issues to begin with? Um, you know, when we, when, um, because we know there is an underinvestment in communities of color. There's underinvestment in, um, uh, in, you know, working class communities. And so we need to invest in mental health um, uh, that has unfortunately, you know, been, been kind of left by the wayside. We need to invest in public education so that people can have an opportunity to then get good jobs. Um, and, you know, uh, we need community programs. We need after school programs. So, so children, um, uh, you know, teenagers, young adults have opportunities to engage in, you know, um, activities that, that keep them, that keep them active, keep them productive, keep them, you know, having a good time. Um, rather than go in the direction of gangs or bad influences. So it's really all of the above. We, we have to have sensible um, uh, public safety measures. We also have to take on the root causes of violence and crime. 
Well, just on a symbolic uh, level, uh, weigh in on uh, the issue of a curfew at Millennium Park. And this is kind of like one of those moments where, how do I, how do I articulate this? It's like frustrated by uh, our inability uh, to reduce crime, uh, to stop shootings. Uh, the mayor imposes a curfew at Millennium Park in the aftermath of a shooting that took place there last week uh, where a 17-year-old uh, was killed, uh, shot right near the Bean, died right near the Bean, one of the uh, cent- most centrally located, popular, most popular tourist attractions uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, and so we, it, there's this notion, we something must be done. we got to do something. We're going to impose a curfew for, uh, what is it, under 18 or 16? I can't remember which one. Uh, at 6 o'clock, you have, unless you're accompanied by a responsible adult. We can talk forever what that means, a responsible adult. But uh, what's your uh, general response uh, to Mayor Laura Lightfoot imposing that curfew? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I'm... I understand the impulse um, after something, uh, after the shooting to kind of um, uh, feel like we have to take immediate action. We do have to take immediate action. I'm not so sure that a curfew is the way to do that. I'm not sure how um, that uh, is successfully enforced and how that actually will, will you know, um, does that just move um, issues to other, to, to, to other parts of the city? Um, and I, I think we really have to go back to, making sure that our, um, where we're targeting um, crime and violence um, in, in a way that, that, helps, um, that, that helps reduce um, you know, the, uh, what we're seeing um, in the streets today. So that means that you know, law enforcement should be focused on actually taking on um, you know, the, the violent offenders. Right now, we ask the police to respond to mental health situations. We ask them to respond to unruly students. We ask them to respond to homeless encampments. We ask them to respond to nonviolent crime, and we ask them to respond to violent crime and to solve crime. Right? Um, that's not an efficient use of of police resources. I think we, I think if we want to reduce crime, you ask them to focus on crime, to find and catch, you know, the bad actors, to hold them accountable. Um, it's not to do all of the above. Same thing we ask to ask teachers to deal with all of the social problems that we have that come into their classroom every single day. Um, and again, that's not fair <laughs> to, to the teachers and it's not, a, it's not an effective way to actually solve um, the issues. So, you know, I, I really do think we need a much more comprehensive approach um, to, to take on these issues. All right. You were talking about uh, the, the many needs we have. Uh, I agree with you 100 uh, percent. Of course, they cost money. And this gets into the issue which you will be dealing with if you are elected uh, state representative, how to fund uh, the state. And the fair tax uh, went down to defeat. Uh, despite all my efforts to get people to pass it, I smile. I was up against uh, Kenny G and his uh, $50 million uh, on that one. So my little show uh, was crushed. Uh, I know you were a supporter of the fair tax, which would have raised the rate, uh, the income tax rate on the wealthiest people in the state. It, it lost. Uh, so uh, where do you see, where do you believe the state should go to try to raise the money we need to pay for the services we want. Keep in mind uh, that the, the 
the relief that we received from the federal government because of COVID probably won't be coming anytime soon. So you, if you get sworn in a state rep, you cannot rely on that to offset uh, these tough choices. So uh, what do you see the best way to, what's the best strategy in your mind uh, to raise money to fund the state? Absolutely. So I think, I think it does start with um, looking at the resources that we already have and how, how we allocate them and how we prioritize um, you know, I know uh, some of the figures that we've seen recently in terms of um, money go- coming into the general fund in Illinois has been um, better than expected. And so um, how do we make sure that we're using that to uh, actually fund the services that, that we prioritize as a state? So funding, uh, funding public education, um, funding human services, uh, et cetera. Uh, but it's also absolutely critical that we, that we um, make sure that the rich pay their fair share in taxes. And that begins with closing corporate loopholes um, uh, and, uh, you know, making sure that we try again on the fair tax. I think the fair tax failed because people distrust government. I don't think that, that people fundamentally disagree with the idea that the wealthy should pay their fair share. I think with, with Mike Madigan and, um, and, and then the, uh, the messaging that the, 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 the misinformation that people put out about the fair tax combined with distrust of, you know, they saw politicians left and right being indicted and going to jail. And they, and then what I heard, cause I was also fighting for the fair tax to pass. And what I heard from people was, um, you know, we don't trust the government to, to use this wisely. And I think we have to go back and let them know, Hey, there are positive steps being taken. We are, we should pass stronger ethics reforms right away, right away. Um, we should do things that will rebuild people's trust in government and go at it again. The answers on revenue are not easy, um, and they they are structural. The problems are structural, and the and the solutions need to be structural. Um, we'll have some short term um, influx from uh, the federal government, even if it doesn't come right now. Some of it will be coming. You know, the infrastructure bill passed. I'm hoping a version of Build Back Better passes, and we see some revenue that will benefit the state. Hopefully, the economy strengthens. We see strong um, revenue coming in as well, um, and and that'll help in the short term. In the long term, we ensure that we are closing corporate loopholes and that we are going back and letting voters know it is absolutely critical that that the that that our income taxes are structured in a way that the top few percent and the top three percent of earners are paying their fair share. Yeah, I really do. I hope you're correct in that. We bring that back. And I would I, I wrote off the feds kicking in more money, but uh <laughs> It's welcome. I'm just saying, uh, Joe Biden, big listener to this show. Uh, I would be perfectly okay with more money coming. I do not understand, uh, and I will never understand, uh, the resistance that Republicans have to the federal government giving more money to Illinois. Um, (laughs) Republican Party is in a really bizarre, twisted place right now. I know you're running in a Democratic primary uh, against uh, Michael Zalewski, who in many ways is, uh, like you said, the, the latest uh, from the, the Madigan or the Burke or uh, the, these powerful Democratic organizations, Lipinski. Uh, the, but I, I, w- I just want to get your thoughts on the state of the Republican Party. And the reason why I say this um, is because more and more, Abel Nasser, when I look at the world today, just outside our little confines, I get more and more frustrated, almost to the point of hopelessness, Mm -hmm. because 50% 
of our political system is dedicated, in my opinion, this is me speaking, to lunacy. Yes. I mean, just think about what happened this weekend in Buffalo. Uh, uh, a gunman went into a grocery store, shot 10 black people. He was dedicated to the notion of like eradicating black people because he believed in a theory called white replacement theory where non-whites are re- being manipulated to replace whites did some people blame it on Jewish Americans? I mean, it's utter insanity filled with hate. The guy went out and shot 10 people. And so in the aftermath, I'm looking at the Republicans, Abdel Nasser, to see if there's any sign that they will retreat in any way. And as far as I can tell, the only Republican that I know of anyway that have spoken forcefully against it is Lynn uh, uh, Cheney, Liz Cheney, excuse me, from Wyoming, who looks like she's about to get bounced out of the party. Yeah. So you want to go down to Springfield uh, <laughs> and you're going to be having to engage with members of the Republican Party. I'd like you to reflect a little bit on just what you think the state of the Republican Party is now and whether it is possible to have any kind of meaningful compromise with them uh, right now. Yeah, Um Thank you for, for that question. The Republican Party, unfortunately, has become the party of Trump. Um, and that, that's just a really sad state of affairs. Um, you know, you've, you've highlighted some of the conspiracy theories, um, the, the racism, the anti-blackness, the Islamophobia, the anti-Semitism from, from the far right. Um, and that has unfortunately come to dominate um, significant elements of the Republican Party. Um, and what, what I think we need to realizes that is not representative of, of most Americans. Um, I think part that this, the problem is structural. If you think about the Senate, which has been, you know, where legislation goes to die, where so much um, meaningful stuff is held up because the Senate is not taking it up like voting rights. Um, uh, it's because of, because it's a, it, it is not a democratic institution. You know, the vast majority of Americans live in, states represented by Democrats, but the Senate, um, you know, it's 50-50 right now. It's not actually representative of, of, of America. We know that, you know, Supreme Court justices were appointed by um, uh, Republican presidents who did not receive the popular vote. We know that at least one, that, that one Supreme Court seat was actually stolen. Um, and so we... You know, with what we're seeing with Roe v. Wade, with what we're seeing with um, many issues, um, it's because of the undemocratic nature of our of our institutions. And and we have to fight that. The road to fixing that is not easy. We have to get more people engaged. We have to get more people um, realizing the urgency of this moment and voting. Um, uh, you know, when we're talking about the Republican Party, that means in the swing you know, in Illinois, the, the context is a little different. We do have not just democratic majorities, but super majority. So we actually get to have a conversation here about how we want to move the state forward and, 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 and pass meaningful reforms. Um, but across the country, we need to elect more Democrats. We need to, we need to take our message to voters who maybe have been on the sidelines, maybe not as engaged and bring them out. Um, I, I am hopeful. I am hopeful as, 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 as um, maybe unlikely as it sounds or, or <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, I think that the arc is going to be in our favor, um, not not by us sitting on the sidelines, but by us being out there and fighting. 
um, because you know the U.S. is becoming you know the Latino population is growing, the Asian population is growing, minorities overall are, are growing, and more people believe what we stand and what we stand for. You add, you pull people on on immigration reform, on health care, um, on so many issues, they really believe what um, what Democrats stand for and what you know also anti-establishment Democrats stand for, right? Um, and so the, the challenge is how we translate that into political power. Um, and I, I wish I had the I wish I had the, the 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 magic bullet for that. But I do think that that's the direction um, that we will be going um, with all of the challenges along the way. I mean, the redistricting um, that's happening in Republican states that's going to more deeply entrench Republican control in some places is is just is horrific to see. Obviously, what the, with the Supreme Court. Um, uh, and the anticipated decision on, on Roe v. Wade, um, you know, these are going to be things that we have to be out in the streets fighting. You know, I, I will say my opponent was one of the um, uh, one, one of the Democrats who stood with all Republicans to take away a young woman's right to choose without getting her parents' permission um, or not, notifying her parents. And I think um, you know that's something that people people should be paying attention to. All right. You met, you said something. I wrote it down. I just want to clarify. Uh, you said you were talking about Congress and you said it's not a Democratic institution. The, you, the U.S. Senate is not. U.S. Senate. My bad. Uh, so uh, when you said Democratic institution, did you mean Democratic capital D as in the Democratic no, Party? Lower D. Lower D Democratic. It's okay. it is, um, you know, you have. 50% of, of senators who are Republican representing, I don't know, 30, 40% of the U.S. population, and then the 50% who are Democrats representing a much larger percentage of the population. And so um, uh, the, the, the structure of the Senate, the, the existence of the filibuster where, where um, you know, uh, a handful of senators can block critical legislation from moving forward, even if a majority of the Senate wanted it passed, um, it is fundamentally undemocratic, lower D undemocratic. I hope it remains in Democratic Party control, and I will fight to make sure that that happens. Um, but yeah, I'm talking about the structural problem. Got it. All right, let's go back to local a little bit. Uh, my apologies for straying and going national, but that uh, what happened in Buffalo this week, and it's really on my mind. Uh, let's talk about Michael Joseph Madigan. You've mentioned him a few times, pointing out that uh, your opponent, Michael Zalewski, is an ally of uh, Michael Joseph Madigan, that the Zalewski family uh, has always been allied with the Madigan, with Madigan uh, and Burke, et cetera, and so forth, on the southwest side of Chicago and in the suburbs. Very powerful, old-style uh, machine Democrats. Uh, and to hear somebody running for office uh, in uh, in that neck of the woods, denouncing and criticizing Michael Madigan is, <laughs> I got to tell you, Abdul Nasser, it's like, whoa, <laughs> usually it's only like lefties and weirdos like me who would, you know, <laughs> I go down on the Southwest side and go, man, wait, you, how can you guys vote for Burke? And people look at me, like, look at my streets, man, you know, <laughs> I got my garbage picked up. Uh, so, you know, talk about that. Was there ever a moment in your career, uh, you know, you're a political junkie where you looked up to Madigan that you said, ah, oh, this is how Democrats should behave, or this is a man who knows the game, or maybe I should, uh, you know, uh, tie myself to his organization. Cause that's how you rise. Did you ever have a moment like that? Uh, never. <laughs> I've, I've been, um, someone who's, who's fought the 
corrupt machine from, from my earliest days. In fact, when I was working at the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, um, it was Mike Madigan who was telling some Democrats to vote against a bill that allows undocumented immigrants to get driver's licenses. And we, we took that fight directly to Madigan and to those members who were on the fence or were opposed. Um, and so I was, you know, 22, 23 years old, right out of college. And, and actually they tried, <laughs> I got, they tried to get me <laughs> to t- to bring me over to their side. I was like, I was like, never, um, um, Hey, you're a smart guy. Come work with us. And I said, I'm working for the people. I'm working for these issues. That's what we're, that's, 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 that's the only thing I can do. It's the only thing I would do. Um, and then of course, working for Chewy against Rom, working um, for Bernie, uh, working to help, um, you know, defeat Joe Barrios. Um, uh, it's been, it, it, that's, that's my, my, my politics has always been aligned with, um, making sure that average people, working people are, are, are represented and that we're centering working families first, not playing games, not self-dealing, um, uh, the way that the machine has, has, has done it. And so I think the, the way Mike Madigan has conducted his politics is, is exactly the wrong way to do politics. It's finally caught up with him and it's finally caught up with so many people around him. Um, and, and, you know, um, it's about time. <laughs> it's about time. Um, so, you know, things are, things are different. Things are different. Um, I, I, talk to people on doors every day and they are sick and tired of corruption. They're sick and tired of um, feeling like the government is not working for them. I just, I don't know, an hour ago, I was on the phone with a voter um, who said that, um, you know, we don't see people, we don't see our politicians actually in the community working with voters, helping voters. Um, and, and he's right. Most politicians don't do that. Um, we, we, while it's important that, you know, um, that we that we fight for good legislation, that we that we center our values and push for good policy. We also need to be out there talking to voters, helping them with what's what, what's what's on their with, with the issues that they're dealing with. Yesterday, I went to um, help a a senior citizen apply for his senior freeze because he didn't realize that he qualified for it. And he was complaining, you know, I was talking to him about affordability issues on the doors and property tax. And he goes, "My property taxes are really high." I asked him, "Well, do you have all your exemptions?" Um, he goes, I, I'm not sure. I, I checked and went to the assessor's website. I put in his address. Sure enough, he didn't have his senior freeze. I asked him if his income was under 65000 a year, his household income. It was. And we got him both not just a reduction on his upcoming bill, but also refunds for the last three years when his income was also under 65000 a year and he was a senior citizen who qualified for that. And so it's these things that matter to people. I was talking to an elderly woman who needed transportation to get groceries and to her doctor's offices. And I called uh, the alderman in the city of Berwyn, I said, tell me about the elderly services that the, that the village, that the city offers. And can we please get a caseworker to connect with this woman um, and um, and followed up on that to make sure that, that that's actually happening. So th- that kind of thing, in addition to, and you know, both are absolutely critical pillars of politics. We have to stand for what's right. <laughs> um, we have to fight for it vigorously and we have to be um, helping everyone helping everyone with what's going on in their lives, um, not just helping our small group of people who are part of our political operation or political machine who we give jobs to or whatever. That's not the way, the way politics should be. Mm. All right. Uh, and, uh, you know, listen to you. That was a great riff, by the way. Uh, and it reminded me of Scott Wagus back 
I don't know if you uh, were allies with him, 32nd World Order. He's not with oh, yeah. uh, Lori Lightfoot, but I, he, he would literally go and shovel the wall. I always got a lot of love and respect for Scotty for a lot of reasons, but he would go and shovel sidewalks of senior citizens in his ward. I just, uh, he didn't draw attention to it. I just only knew about it because somebody wrote a letter to the Sun-Times thanking him for doing that. And uh, it's just a fundamental thing that a state rep could do or Absolutely. any, you know, it, I mean, not shovel sidewalks. I'm saying, like, well, no, help someone navigate the system to get their tax lowered. Go ahead. Well, it should be. I mean, what, what, whatever is happening in the person's life, we ought to care about. We ought to care about and help them with it. Um, if that means picking up the shovel and shoveling, great. If that means connecting them with an agency that's going to help them, that means sending them a volunteer, sending someone to help them with an issue. Um, ideally, but you know, th- th- that's the that's the one-on-one constituent services and just helping people. We also have to, of course, the way to deal with structural, you know, with some of these issues is going to be policy and structural. So why is, why is this elderly woman um, without transportation? Okay, um, you know, maybe there's maybe there is a gap in terms of outreach by our government agencies to someone in her shoes, right? Maybe she doesn't know what's out there. Maybe there isn't enough. Maybe there aren't enough services out there to help her, and we need to fix that with the property tax, with the, with the guy who didn't, didn't realize that he was qualified for the senior freeze. What are we doing? All of us in the property tax system and local elected officials from the alderman to the state representative and state Senator to the mayor to help let every senior know that they're eligible for, for this or for that um, uh, benefit and helping them actually access that benefit. Uh, These are things that are both policy related, outreach related, and just individual hands-on. We have to be ready to do that. All right. Now, a lot of people uh, vote uh, for a candidate for a lower down on the ballot position uh, based on who has endorsed them. So I'm sure there's going to be people out there uh, who will vote for Zalewski because, I don't know, he's was once endorsed by Madigan. I don't know if Madigan still does endorsements. Once endorsed by Lipinski. I don't know if Lipinski still does endorsements. So I'm sure neither Madigan nor Lipinski uh, are endorsing Rashid. Uh, so who is endorsing you, Abdel Nasser? Uh, who, which endorsements have you already received? Uh, great question. Timely question, because we just released two, uh, two significant endorsements. Um, I was really proud to receive the endorsement of Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky and Congressman uh, Luis Gutierrez. So those are two particularly notable ones. There are more. Um, but, um, you know, very grateful for Congresswoman Schakowsky's support. She's been a champion for women's rights. Uh, she's been a champion for the environment. Um, and um, especially um, in light of um, Roe being uh, about to be overturned, we need to make sure that, that um, both Illinois legislature continues to make sure that Illinois um, is a safe place to access abortion. Um, and we need to make sure that we, of course, codify Roe um, in federal law um, so that the Supreme Court can't take this right away from people. Um, and then Congressman Luis Gutierrez, who's been a champion for immigrant rights, um, uh, supports me and I'm very grateful for his endorsement. He was a congressman for the district for 23 years. Uh, you, you mentioned that you were field director for Jesus uh, Garcia in 2015 when you ran against Mayor Rahm. Uh, has Congressman Garcia endorsed you? I certainly hope to get his endorsement. Okay, come on. Okay, Congressman Garcia, the dude was your field director. <laughs> Take a stand. Uh, all right, I'm going to put you in a tough uh, endorsement question and get your answer to this. Uh, you're on the uh, southwest side of the city. Which congressional district are you in? 
Uh, I live in, in, in the new sixth congressional district. The, the new sixth. Uh, and so who is your current congressperson? Congresswoman Marie Newman. And um, are you the new sixth? Is uh, that a contested seat right now? It certainly uh, is. <laughs> Congresswoman Newman and Congressman Kasten are running against each other there. And uh, and you have decided to endorse Congresswoman Marie Newman. Um, she's uh, uh, her her um, willingness to really stick her neck out on on justice for Palestine is something admirable. I'm very grateful for that. And um, we need more people who are willing to do the right thing. It is it is a good cause. It is the just cause, and they'll be on the right side of history. And I like to point out that uh, you've been endorsed by Jan Schakowsky. I always like to look a little, for a little piece for my Jewish brothers and sisters and my Palestinian American brothers and sisters. So anytime I could get any kind of kumbaya going, I uh, just do want to point that out. Abdel Nasser, you've been supported by uh, Jan Schakowsky, uh, who is a strong supporter of the state of Israel, and yet she's supporting you. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, the... Um, the issues that we're dealing with at the state are, are absolutely um, critical. And um, whether it's fighting for, for working families to be able to afford to live, um, taking on um, corruption, or protecting a woman's right to choose. And uh, Congresswoman Schakowsky, um supports me because we, we are on the same page on, on all of that. Uh, Representative Zaleski voted to... Um, against repealing the forced parental notification for abortion. So a young, a young woman who was uh, raped, uh, maybe by, even by her own father or a close family member, would still have been required to notify a parent, even if they were not supportive, maybe even her own abuser, that she needs an abortion. Um, that is not a vote you can just um, ignore. That's not something Representative Zelsk is going to try to say, oh, well, no, I have other votes, but that... That one in particular, you went after the most vulnerable. You went after the most vulnerable. You don't get to just push that aside. Um, and then it passed with a slim majority. It didn't, it didn't pass with 71 votes or it had low 60s in terms of, you know, you need 60 votes. I think he got like 61 or 62 votes. Um, so, you know, it could, he could have been one of the people to possibly take that down. Um, that's unacceptable. And um, I think we need to make sure that we elect someone who's 100% pro-choice. All right. Yeah. And we talked about this a lot on this show, uh, the parental notification. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is an important issue, in my humble opinion. I'm with you 100 percent on this one. And it's interesting. I'm watching in the Republican again. I come back to the Republican Party, uh, the, the battle for the to be the nominee to run against Pritzker. Uh, Richard Irvin is clearly uh, a lifelong centrist. Uh, Democrat or Republican, I'm not sure which. I don't even think he knows. And um, uh, But now he's trying to reposition himself as MAGA man because he wants to be the Republican nominee, and he took Kenny G's money. And so and that's the script he has to read from. And they're really nailing him on abortion rights because probably the dude was lifelong supporter of abortion rights. Now he's got to quickly throw that out the window and rewrite his history uh, to win MAGA's vote. And the one thing, when he asked him that question directly, Abdul Master, you know what he says? Parental notification, parental notification. Because in Kenny G's script that he has to read from, yeah. 
that is a very triggering issue. Republicans are trying to use that to yeah. win over people in your district. They're sure. trying to use, to use that to win over. And they're, and they're going to fail. They're going to fail because, um, you know, most, most people will consult their parent, bring them into a conversation about such a significant decision or significant um, uh, issue in their life. Uh, it's for the people who can't. That's the problem. That's the problem with that. The people who cannot go to their parent, maybe their parent was the abuser. Maybe their parent is complicit in the abuse. Maybe their parent will force them to carry the pregnancy to term. Right. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Um, and so they're going to lose that issue if they try that, that's, that's a, that is, um, you know, a bad strategy. Let them keep trying. <laughs> um, but no, that is a, that was a horrific a law to keep on the books. And I'm glad that it was repealed. Me too. And like I always say, whenever the subject comes up, hey, parents, you weren't there when the procreation happened. Okay, I'm just saying, you weren't there. <laughs> so there's a lot of things your kids are doing. You know, maybe it's a bigger issue you, you should talk to them about. It. I'm, not, I'm not giving parental advice, the Lord knows. But I'm just saying, man, you know, you weren't there for that. Now you want to be there for the other decision? Right, and then frankly, it, it may, you know, um, it's possible that a young woman is raped. It happens more often than we like to talk about. Um, and, 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 and more, and, and too many of those cases um, are from a, a, from a close family member. All right. Uh, we'll close uh, with a question out of left field uh, just to see uh, your response. Uh, it's something we talk a lot about on this show and it does not directly deal with uh, the state house. Uh, although you could argue there is, would, could be a connection. So uh, Chicago recently, uh, just yesterday passed a new ward map. Uh, if you were an alderman in the Chicago city council, would you vote for the ward map uh, or against the ward map? Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I was following it peripherally. I don't know enough about the, details of the map and what it did or didn't do right or wrong. And I know there was an agreement. I know that agreement has been criticized, um, but I, I have not paid enough attention to be able to tell you how I'd vote on that. All right. Fair enough. If you don't know the answer, just say it that way. Okay. <laughs> don't be like Tony Preckwinkle. Start talking about something else. Okay. I'm being honest. I, I, you know, I don't know how I would. Yeah. Vote. I hear you. All right. Um, Thank you very much for taking the time. One more time, folks want to hear, learn more about you. They like you. They're going to send a, a fan letter or they hate you and they want to send a critical letter. Give them the information. Go ahead. Yes, please. Um, uh, you can reach us anytime or get involved at my website, rashidforillinois.com. And spell that out for you. R-A-S-H-I-D-F-O-R, Illinois, all spelled out, dot com. You can Google my name, Abdul Master Rashid, um, and, and get our website there as well. Um, so if you want to, um, uh, send us a message, feel free to do that on the website. You can also call us at 708-529-5002. Um, and we would love to talk to you. All right. Very good. Abdel Nasser Rashid, best of luck to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Ben. All right. Very good. I want to thank, uh, Abdel Nasser for being on the show. Maya Duke Masava, outstanding job earlier. And of course the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Abdel Nasser, Jan Shikowski, and Maya Domasova will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm -hmm.